Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter. We are there, at political underscore beats. And please subscribe to our feed for new episodes. Find them via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or via nationalreview.com. In the upper left-hand corner, the Podcasts tab will bring you all of National Review's fine podcast offerings, including this one right here. All our old episodes and our new episodes posted there with lovingly handcrafted show notes from my partner each and every Monday. Please listen, share, and review episodes of Political Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner, standing by, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you doing? I am a little busy right now, Scott. Actually, I am currently engaged in wacky comedic hijinks, uh, all set to a peppy 60s soundtrack. Um, um, uh, Scott, I, I got it wrong. I'm being chased by a mummy. Well, I certainly hope you'll find time in your day to stop and play a live version of one of those songs that didn't be taped and then put in the episode later, perhaps. Just a thought. Find Jeff online at Esoteric CD on Twitter. And our guest this week, he's a freelance writer, a contributor to The Federalist, host of the Acton Institute's weekly Upstream Pop Culture Pop Podcast. And you can find him on Twitter as well, at Bruce Ed Walker, because his name is Bruce Edward Walker. Bruce, thank you for joining us here on Political Beats. It's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me to be here. Uh, and we first ask all our guests to basically tell us who the heck you are. Bruce Edward Walker, what is your uh, political type job? How did you get dragged into the uh, the political ecosystem? Well, I, I began working for free market think tanks uh, back in 2006. I started writing for the Acton Institute back in around 2002, 2003. So I've been covering arts and culture related issues, uh, covering uh, shareholder activism for, for Acton. I've also worked in environmental and uh, information technology for the Mackinac Center here in Michigan, as well as at the Heartland Institute. And uh, so I'm dealing with property rights. And But prior to that, I, I've been working for reference book companies, including Contemporary Musicians, uh, which is uh, published by C Engage. I had a regular entertainment beat for the Royal Oak Daily Tribune down in the Detroit area. And Bruce joins us today to uh, talk about a band that uh, I think even when Jeff and I were first putting the show together, we were like, man, when we get to this band, that's, that's going to be an awfully good show. And uh, I'll just be straightforward. It's the monkeys, uh, because I want to toss in, you know, I don't always give my origin story for how I get into a band, but the monkeys, I grew up on the monkeys. My mom had every monkeys LP, well, the, the popular ones. And as I was growing up, but I, I imagine Jeff's story might be similar, it was the monkeys revival time, man. MTV was playing marathons. You could find their TV shows all over the place. They had a greatest hits album out that was charting. And I vividly recall being in the basement with the, you know, the, the red and white uh, labeled uh, LPs, all the monkeys stuff, listening, singing along to it, and uh, and and loving it. And you know, it's it's kind of uh, it, 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 you know, the monkeys don't get the respect I think they deserve. And there are some bands we talked Billy Joel last week, and for a time, you know, was, uh, even I was like, oh, Billy Joel's not that cool. I shouldn't like Billy Joel. I can't tell you there was ever really a time when I said I don't like the monkeys. No, I always liked the monkeys, despite people people's criticism of them. And I'm so excited to dive into the catalog today. 
We toss it to our guest, Bruce Edward Walker, and ask you to tell us, how did you get into the monkeys? Why do you like that music so much, and, and why should others care? Well, I, I got into the monkeys in, uh, when they first began. I am uh, seven out of nine children and uh, four older sisters. And my oldest sister was very much into Last Train to Clarksville when that first came out. And so when the show debuted, we were planted in front of the 19-inch black and white RCA television. <laughs> and uh, we watched it every week. My sisters were buying Dippity Doo or they were buying Curl Free, uh, Yardley products. Uh, Twiggy was all the rage. But it was, uh, they were just so into the monkeys that my, my sister would actually answer the telephone thinking that her friends were calling and their, their code word was boop boop shabop bop whamalam. And if you're a <laughs> monkeys fan, you knew what that means. So uh, was really into them. By the time I got to college, I had my sister's old albums and I would make party tapes and I would drop in monkey songs, usually Mike Nesmith songs. Mm. And people would, you know, would stop, you know, banging their head to the damned and the sex pistols and the clash <laughs> and go, who the heck is this? This is great. Where did you find this? So you drop in some hollies, you drop in some monkeys, and maybe some zombies, and it would just blow their minds. And I said, hey, it's the monkeys. They were the coolest band, not ever, but they were a pretty gosh darn cool band. And if, if you're not hip to them, you really need to uh, let me make you some tapes. And I, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, there was a uh, independent station from Detroit that was cable cast throughout Michigan. And they started rerunning the monkeys in the uh, late seventies, early eighties, mm -hmm. and I, I got people to watch that. Especially my friends who were into Frank Zappa and <laughs> uh, Tim Buckley. I would say, hey, you know, if, if you watch enough of these episodes, you're actually going to see Frank Zappa. You're going to see Tim Buckley. You're actually going to see Tim Buckley perform. So it, it, it was it was pretty neat. I have to say my story is almost identical to Scott's, which I found to be pretty amusing. <laughs> that you know, I've told a lot of these tales uh, in a lot of our episodes about how, like, I started off, you know, <clears throat> with a band that was sort of ubiquitous in my childhood, and then as I, I, I acquired taste, I decided, oh, although this is uncool, I'm not supposed to like them anymore. And then only later on in my life, you know, when I was an adult, and I had sort of you know confidence and maturity about what it is I liked or I didn't like, was I willing to come back around to them? But that didn't happen for me with the monkeys. Uh, just like Scott. In fact, I know exactly the greatest hits album that he was referring to uh, that was around uh, when we were growing up in the 80s. It was called Then and Now, The yep. Best of the Monkeys. My dad had it on CD too. And I listened to that and I was like, this is a pretty fun band. I really enjoy this. 
Um, and then uh, the reissues came out. I think this is in high school. Rhino started reissuing all their albums. And, you know, me, I'm a sucker for anything with an archival quality to it. And I looked at <laughs> it and I was like, ooh, bonus tracks. Ooh, detailed liner notes. And I started buying this stuff. And I was deeply surprised at how entertaining these records actually were uh, and how consistent they actually were. And as I learned more about who the monkeys were, how they came together, how they sort of had to fight and scrap and sort of, you know, fight for respectability and credibility in a market and an industry that would never entirely accept them because of who they were and because of the way that they came together and all the other interesting sort of cultural threads that came together around them as a band that they were sort of right at the forefront of and we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there I, I always liked this band even when i was still extremely snobbish about other groups that i later grew on to, to love so yeah i never had a phase where i was um oh the monkeys are uncool i'm not allowed to like them and in fact i was always sort of like in that contrarian <laughs> mode where i would try to explain to people hey I, I know you think the monkeys are supposed to be lame but trust me they're not here listen to this album it's called head it'll blow your mind and um i've, I've kind of been that way ever since now i mean i would never say that they're like you know they're they're as good as the Stones or the Who or the Beatles, but it's an artificial standard to hold any group to. Mm -hmm. This is a band that put out, you know, like six albums, I would say, all of which are deeply, they put out like nine albums. Six of them are really, really great. And I think two or three of them are actually classics of the era. And just a magnificent singles band as well. Yeah. Um, all the strikes that used to be held against them, like, oh, you know, they don't play all their instruments on some recordings. Oh, you know, they do cover versions of other songs are things that, in retrospect, we never held against other classic bands of the era, like the Beach Boys or the Birds or anything like that. Um, so when you just set aside all the, the, the poses and all the sort of cultural and uh, tribal reasons you, you weren't supposed to like this group, all of which sort of died out long ago. What you're left with is the music, and the music is really pretty magnificent. And the music was always, I mean, it was always meant to be from the start, right? These guys were, it was a casting call uh, to look for uh, four, you know, uh, boys, young men. Uh, but, but the you know, they, they knew they were going to do some singing. There was musical ability wanted uh, in that initial wanted, which you can, you can find somewhere. So that they found these four guys. The chemistry is pretty amazing from the start uh, on, on the screen. And they found guys with, voices that work pretty well together and um and you know the first album came out it was just called the monkeys i'm the still trying to imagine that alternate universe where steven stills right. didn't fail his audition to be a monkey <laughs> and he, he auditioned i mean he looks just like peter torque too so yep. like they probably Absolutely. were thinking of him for that role <laughs> it would have been a really funny see like peter torque in buffalo springfield instead <laughs> see like crosby torque nash and young that doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well nor do i know if that would have happened of course so the monkeys tv show uh begins airing in 1966 and shortly after the Monkey's first album comes out, and it is a huge smash success. 13 weeks at the top of the charts for the original Monkey's album. And it, it, was, uh, it was pieced together, right? I mean, look, the, the criticism of the Monkey's that they didn't play their own instruments, they just sang, nowhere true that on the first two albums. Uh, there are no songs on, on the Monkey's album where all four Monkey's appear. Uh, and eight of the 12 songs just one of the monkeys appeared they are just doing vocal tracks outside of mike nesmith who did write a, a couple of tunes and i think it's instrumentation too other than that session session musicians outside writers but as a debut 
I think it holds up pretty well. The album tracks are, you know, there are a couple of songs that people know. Theme from the Monkeys, which was the, hold on, theme from the Monkeys TV show. Uh, I'm glad you checked that. (laughs) Last Train to Clarksville, a massive, massive hit. Still one of the most recognizable intros. I think from you know '60s pop. I mean that 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 guitar lick to, to to intro that voice and heart song is instantly recognizable. But look from the start, there's some there's some instances here where it's clear Mike Nesmith is operating at a different level than the rest of the guys. I and mean, certainly Mickey Dolan's voice from this album is is also stellar. But you know, Mike Nesmith writes Papa Jean's Blues, and there's a lot of you know country rock that begins with Mike Nesmith, and some of it is. Is, uh, is kind of attributed to What Am I Doing Hanging Around, which is a great song we'll talk about in a bit. But there's country rock stuff right here on the very first album alongside the kind of teeny pop. Papa Jean's Blues, Sweet Young Thing, which he was kind of forced to write with Goffin and, and King, less than two minutes. And I, I was trying to think, this is one of those songs I think Nesmith is forced to push his upper register, which doesn't do a whole lot, I think, through the rest of the Monkees' career. So it's almost a different uh uh, side to Nesmith and singing Sweet Young Thing. That's a great song. And it's love you bring With dreams of blue skies And morning sings When I see it in your eyes Sweet young thing Sweet young thing you know, This first Monkees album just has, a, again, a couple of songs. And Saturday's Child, the, the second track uh, on the album, is a, is a really great one. Kind of has the same a David Gates song. Yep, kind of yeah. has the same chorus as "You Didn't Have to Be So Nice" from Eleven Spoonful, very close. Uh, theme for the Monkees kind of sounds like "Catch Us If You Can" from Dave Clark Five. There are there are echoes of, of other songs in Monkey songs here and there, but it's a re- I mean, thirteen weeks at number one speaks for itself. But the music, which of course we want to talk most about, I think still stands up very well. I mean, the, the things that don't stand up on this one are the novelty tracks, right. all right? And, you know, Gonna Buy Me a Dog is just like, oh, my Lord. You know, there's there's another one on the next album called, like, Your Annie Griselda. It was the, like, the Peter Tork pity track. Like, and they wanted them to sound, I guess, <laughs> here, you know, your Ringo Starr, you know? And, and they're just, it's, it's silly songs. Um, obviously, Boyce and Hart, who wrote, wrote almost all the songs on this record, were just, like, struggling to find something to throw on as the end of the record. There was better material that was kept in the can that they ended up using on some of their later albums, as a matter of fact, uh, that they should have gone with instead. Um, the other novelty song, I will say, is um, one that was a, a pretty big hit. You'll find it on a lot of their greatest hits uh, called I Want to Be Free, which is just a clergy, string, sappy, Davy yeah. Jones thing. Uh, I'm, you're gonna find as we go through these songs that you know <laughs> my constant you know you know itchy angry itchy spot on the back that I can't quite scratch is my my uh, my dislike for a lot of the Davy Jones numbers. It's he, true. he definitely it's comes true. you know he comes off of Broadway and he loves those glurgy Broadway ballads and this one is one of the worst. It, it, it's very much like you know if you thought at as Tears Go By was a really kind of second-rate <laughs> Rolling Stones imitation of yesterday. Well, this is a second-rate imitation of As Tears Go By. It's really not good, um, but it was very popular back in the day. Uh, the one that I really love from Monkey, uh, the, the first Monkeys album, though, is uh, a Goffin King song. One of the great things about the Monkeys, by the way, they were one of the best sort of exponents of Goffin and King uh, as songwriters. Yeah. Lots of people covered, you know, Carol King and Jerry Goffin's work. But man, the Monkees covered a lot of their best songs and did fantastic versions of them. And there's I, I one was, on this record that I love. What were you going to say, I, I just say, I was surprised going back and really, I mean, really looking in prep just how many Goffin King songs they did and how many are some of their absolute best. 
absolute best ones. And there's one on this that I love. It's sort of like classic, like you know, mid '60s proto psychedelia called "Take a Giant Step." A giant step. What a great song yes. that is. All right, and it's, it opens with this really kind of nice Farfisa organ line that goes on. It's beautifully played. Let's put. The Monkees may not have played instrumentally on these early songs, but man, they got a crack band behind them. I think you got the Wrecking Crew, the sort of the you LA the Wrecking Studio, Crew, yeah, yes. the LA Studio pros like you know Hal Blaine and uh, you know, all the really you know, Larry Taylor and guys like that on, on on guitar and bass. Just magnificent instrumental performance on that song. Fantastic song. Don't sit in your lonely room, just staring back in silent gloom. That's not where. And the other thing it's worth pointing out is that you really see uh, how Mickey Dolenz was, uh, you know, he was nominally the drummer. And he really struggled with that instrument. It wasn't natural. The really the two natural instrumental musicians of the band were Peter Tork and Mike Nesmith, mm-hmm. which you cannot underestimate what a fantastic vocalist Mickey Dolenz was. Man, he can deliver, you know, everything. He can he can sing all different kinds of rock songs. He can sing ballads. Yep. He can sing rockers. He can sing these gentle psychedelic little like you know ambling pop songs. And he always comes across as really credible. And there's nothing phony or artificial about the way he delivers stuff. He was a real vocal talent. And uh, he, you know this is this is where it first comes out. Right. Well, Vicky said in uh, an interview that's in one of the documentaries that. Uh, he was an actor. He was circus boy as a young man growing up, and uh, he was an actor portraying a musician. And he said to actually learn how to play the drums, he said it was like Leonard Nimoy becoming a Vulcan. <laughs> that, and and I, I I love that line because it it, it really works. He he acted as an, a musician, but eventually became a musician and became a pretty crack singer in. A dynamite band. He he has the the best vocal performances out of all four members of the band, as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. throughout the the remainder of their career. Yep, absolutely. Um, and, and so Monkey sells like hotcakes, and they go back in the. Uh, hey, you know what? You know what? Just one more thing yeah. uh, before we move on. We really didn't pay enough attention to Last Train to Clarksville, which is maybe not enough people know is like the secret Vietnam song. Uh, that got to number one in the pop hit, in the pop charts. It's a song everybody's like, take the last train to Clarksville and I'll meet you at the station. But what he's really writing about is like, yeah, I'm leaving town because I got drafted and I'm going overseas to fight the Viet Cong, mm-hmm. um, which is a pretty clever way to, to slide that in there. But also, for one of their most famous hits, it, it really deserves to be recognized as a fantastic rock song as well. I know, Scott, you talked about that riff. Yep. Uh, that riff really is one of the iconic 60s rock riffs, um, sort of 60s rock pop riffs, certainly. Uh, I just wanted to make sure we didn't, we didn't yeah. pass on to more of the monkeys without giving that record its due. Don't be slow. Oh, no, 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 no. Cause I'm leaving in the morning and I 
my train and I must go and the way too that you know voice and heart kind of uh, uh shot shot back so to speak at the beatles the beatles were yeah 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 and of course the monkeys and last trains to clarksville uh, clarksville is oh no 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 uh that that uh, that difference uh the difference of the details i guess exactly so they go back in the studio they, they rip out more of the monkeys this is a uh, the monkeys didn't even know this album was going to be put out until they saw it on the store shelves literally but it worked out. Don Kirshner, took, uh, who was running the TV side of things, took a little more control over the uh, music side of things on more of the monkeys. It spent 70 weeks on the charts. Um, and eventually would lead to the monkeys taking more control over their, their careers. We'll get to that at the end. But let's talk about the album first because, man, is it good. The producers... It's chock-a-block with just amazing songs. Yeah, the producers that were brought just in... Just amazing songs. The songwriters that take part in, in this album are outstanding. And you know what? Actually, Bruce, go ahead. You take the, the lead on this one. Okay, well, you you got Boyce and Hart. You got Carol Bayer Sager. You got Neil Sedaka. You got Mike Nesmith. And and you've got one of the, the greatest pop songs of all time that uh, puts the... the the turtles to shame and that's saying quite a bit i'm a believer with a neil diamond song which just is uh holds up so amazingly well it's still the best performance of that song and that's when it's been re-recorded by bram tchaikovsky robert wyatt tin huey smash mouth the 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 monkeys version is still like Head and shoulders above the rest. It's mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. I don't know. I was actually going to cite that Robert Wyatt version. It's an amazing cover of the Monkees. <laughs> I'm a believer. I'm I'm stunned. I, I I listened to I'm a believer my entire life, and I've always been sort of middling on it until I heard Wyatt's version. Robert Wyatt is the ex lead singer drummer for a prog rock band called Soft Machine, and you know in his solo career he did a single version of it, and it's just this amazing reinterpretation of it, and it forced me to go back and appreciate what a well written song Neil Diamond's original number was. That's probably my favorite cover of a monkey's song I, but i'm oh. interrupting you sorry about that oh, oh no 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 but I, i'm glad you stepped in because I, i'm a huge robert wyatt fan love soft machine matching mole is his solo material uh coincidentally uh he, he features uh the uh, gentleman from style council and the jam on there paul weller and a lot of it, paul weller on lots of his albums and paul weller is on the, the monkey's last album right right which which is uh, kind of a nifty little coincidence and a nice way to close the loop but uh, the I, I found the robert wyatt version of 45 when i was in uh, a little record shop in london and was digging through there and i went Robert Wyatt, I'm a believer. Well, I can't be the same song. It's like Neil Diamond, get out of town. So yeah. I had to pick it up. And uh, yeah, I, I do agree with you that it is a wonderful, wonderful cover. But with me, the, the original is just still is just stands up so remarkably well. And I mean, and this it, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you, you know, keep on, Bruce. No, finish up. Okay. Well, I was, I was going to move along to some of the other songs on the album. Yes. And uh, th- this is where Mike Nesmith just really, really starts to come into his own as a songwriter and as a performer. And uh, The Kind of Girl I Could Love is just. Yeah, man, that's a good su- one. Such a wonderful song. <laughs>
and Mary Mary, which was covered by uh, the Butterfield Blues Band. It, it, it's such a, a great rock song, and it, it's like a, a skeletal song. It's like getting an erector set and then giving it to other bands so that they can add the, more, the brick and the mortar and uh, design it any way that they want to. It, it's, it's, it's sort of like Gloria in that regard. And, you know, I, I think the kind of girl I could love is such a great... It, these early Nesmith tunes all check it at under two minutes. He, he crams in so much great stuff in under two minutes worth of time. Um, I'm a huge fan of She, which is the lead-off track yeah. on More of the Monkeys. It's a boy's heart track. It's got it's a it's a mix, the best I can describe, of, of like psychedelic rock and surf rock. The stomp of surf rock with a little bit of psychedelica. And uh that, that pre chorus, you know, the why am I standing here is beautiful. The the back and forth with the Yaz, uh with the backing vocals, she is just a really great, great song. Um Sometime in the morning is another Oh, yeah, often... and, and, and the call and response in yes. she is just so fantastic. Yeah. I love her, love her, need her, need her. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Why am I standing here Missing her And wishing she were here Hey, she did me wrong Hey, I'm better off alone Sometime in the morning, the Goffin King song is some of Mickey Dolan's most uh, uh, I don't know, sensitive vocals, heartfelt vocals uh, early on. Uh, uh, Dolan showing showing his range on another great Goffin King song, Sometime in the Morning. Um, they, they start to figure out a, a, a little bit of what to do with Davy Jones, I think. And Hold On Girl and Look Out Here Comes Tomorrow are, I think, better than his contributions on that first album, but still not uh, still not utilizing Davy Jones the way they would, I think, in, in some in some future albums and here comes uh, tomorrow just benefits from the fact that it's written by a better songwriter it, it's a neil correct. diamond song and whatever yes. else you're gonna say about neil diamond a man who had to write a damn catchy pop song <laughs> davy jones does a pretty good job on that one the other one by the way just the only song because you guys have covered everything else on this record really um but the one that you haven't mentioned is the one that's kind of gone on to become a punk standard a yeah. punk standard stepping of all. stone right yeah, i'm not baby. just stepping stone yeah. which is the hardest uh, it, it feels funny to say hard, hard rocking, and monkeys in the same sentence, but it, it is undeniably a proto-punk song. Uh, it, it has got true garage rock fury, which is an interesting vibe to get out, you know, out of what are essentially a bunch of LA studio pros. But it's such an angry verse too, and it sounds just as appropriate coming out of the mouth of Johnny Rotten as it does of uh, Mickey Dolenz. And it oh totally- yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and I, I, I just love the bar chords in this, where you just you just run it right into the ground, and Mickey Dolan's just seems to uh, channel the spirit of Bob Dylan in Positively Fourth Street, but just he he takes Bob Dylan and just wraps barbed wire around his vocal cords and just slams this song home. It is a nasty, nasty, great punk song. 
Yeah, but it's it's got a pretty pretty incisive set of lyrics. It was like when mm-hmm. I first met your girl, you didn't have no shoes, but now you're walking around like your front page news. You've been awful careful about the your friends you choose, but you're not gonna find my name in your book of who's who's. And then he starts, he's like, I, 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 I'm not your stepping stone. And boy, you can almost see the safety pin coming out of his nose when, when he does <laughs> it, it. It is it is definitely the closest the monkeys, the monkeys of all people, got to a punk moment. And again, just a great pop. Great pop rock moment from 1966. When I first met you, girl, you didn't have no shoes. But now you're walking around like your front page news. You've been awful careful about the friends you choose. But you won't find my name in your book of who's who's. I said, I'm not your stepping stone. Oh yeah, I had a, a little band in, in college and we would do this song and it was so much fun to do. Just so much fun. I mean, once you mastered the bar chords, it, it was just, you know, how do you match the attitude? So this is the moment uh, from the transition from 1966 to 1967 with two uh, incredibly successful albums. More of the Monkees spent even longer at number one on the charts than the Monkees did, the debut album. I think yeah. the first one was 13 weeks at number one. This was 16 weeks at number one. You do the math. The Monkees, 1966 in America was, was not the year of the Beatles, it was the year of the Monkees, which is actually a, a, an amazing and amusing thing to discover in <laughs> retrospect. Uh, but that meant that Don Kirshner uh, got way out over his skis. Don yeah. Kirshner was the guy who was running the TV show and then making a lot of the musical selections for these albums, and he began to think of himself as sort of the Stengali and the improvisario. He's like, I don't really care what these stupid, you know, these people are actors. They're not musicians. They don't have any independent agency. They're going to do what I tell them. I'm going to put out the music that I want them to put out because look at how successful it's been up until this point. I'm going to tell them what our, their next release is. Uh, they had been, the monkeys themselves, particularly Nesmith and Torque, had been really, really yep. pushing hard to let um, Pushing them and punching. Release. What'd you say? Pushing and punching hard. Well, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. Pushing really hard to let them release their own material on singles. And they had kind of worked out, I think, a compromise where the next single coming up would be a Neil Diamond song on the A side. I think it's a little bit me, a little bit you. But then yeah. they get to use one of Nesmith's songs uh, that they had played on themselves on the B side. Uh, and you know, I think it was going to be The Girl I Knew Somewhere um, or All of Your Toys, one of those two songs. Uh, and then instead, Don Kirshner said, you know, screw that. And he released two, um, you know, Davy Jones songs. And he actually even said on the label, he said, from my favorite monkey, David right. Jones, uh, which is obviously a deep, in- a pretty cutting insult to the rest of the band, you know, as being, you know, whiners who wouldn't shut up and do what they're told. I kind of wonder what it made him think about Davey. He's like, hey, come on, Davey, you're selling us out here, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, uh, Nesmith famously confronted him, I think at some music show or music awards show backstage. And, and he, he took him by the lapels and he threw him up against the wall and he just punched right against his head and he said put his fist right through the wall big hole in the drywall and he looked at Kirshner and he says that should have been your face and from that moment on Don Kirshner literally disappears from the monkey story because the guys who ran the show who had originally come up with it uh, a guy named Bob Rafelson uh, who we're going to hear about a little more and went on to have a very famous Hollywood directing career uh, said well we're siding with the monkeys we're going to side with the talent here 
and they gave them the time and the opportunity to record their own album on their own terms with their own creative control and creative decisions and most importantly to play all the instruments themselves uh they think they brought in like you know string section or here and some horns that but you know what i mean to play all their own music and to write almost all of the songs and the result is headquarters uh this is released in may of 1967 so it's right before sergeant peppers comes out and uh, a lot of like serious monkeys fans that is a thing that really exists by the way there is a rabid population of like seriously devoted monkeys fans out there on the internet you can find a lot of them would argue this is their best and most fully realized album i'm not quite sure i'm there on it but i think it's a pretty great record i want to go back two seconds and spend one minute on a little bit me a little bit you because i think ah. it's one of my favorite monkeys tracks it's another mm -hmm. neil diamond to uh, tune david jones sings it none of the other monkeys are on it but Man, that melody is golden. I will walk around the house and sing the chorus and sneak up behind my wife and whisper, a little bit me, a little bit you, too. Uh, and then music, you know, kicks in. It's simple, yet it is also a little complex in, in, in the writing. It's a great Neil Diamond tune. I love A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, too. And the uh, the eventual single that it was backed with, The Girl I Knew Somewhere, man, it was in my head for about three straight days earlier this month. It's a Nesmith tune. It's got a great start-stop opening guitar riff. That is a really, really great A you know, A-side, B-side single combination that led to Kirshner being out and led to the Monkees doing their own instruments. But I wanted to make sure I at least mention that. And I, I on, on headquarters, I will say I, I'm with Jeff in that I, I, I feel when I listen to headquarters, there's a little bit too much of, hey, we're really in charge now. Hey, we can we can do things. We can have an instrumental. We can do a, a, a tongue twister song like Zilch. Um and, and, and so I, it's not quite as good, I think, as others perhaps hold it up to be. There are some great Nez, You Told Me is a really good opening track. Uh, Peter Tork playing both the banjo and a tremendous bass line on You Told Me. And, and You Just May Be the One. Another uh, folk rocker from Nesmith is great. Uh, uh, Randy Skowski, the uh, Mickey Dolan's track at the, at the back end is some of the we start to see some of the weirdness of Mickey Dolan's which would which would really shine through on, on later al albums. Mickey had a great has had a great voice but also this slight weird side that would pop in from time to time and that's certainly the case with with that one. Uh, you know the verses and chorus don't relate to each other at all. The verses describe this this party scene with these allusions to his future wife and the Beatles as the what the the kings of EMI. And the chorus is totally different. It's this old man screaming at a young kid, young long kid, uh, long young long haired kid. Um, so there are some highlights in headquarters, but I I don't think there's as many, as many standout tracks as there are in some other Monkeys albums. And so while they took control and they play their own instruments and they write their own tunes, it, I don't think it's quite reaching the heights that others do. Bruce, well, I remember uh, when each of the Monkeys albums 
the day that they were released, my mom would pack up the car with my sisters and we would go to the store, we'd buy the album, we would come home and we'd sit there and we'd listen to it. And I remember my sisters scratching their heads saying, what the heck is this? <laughs> and my older brother was like, come away from there, come away from this sissy music. You don't want to listen to this. You want to listen to something that's a little bit more rugged and hardcore. And uh, I would sneak back upstairs and and put the album on it and listen to it. And I, I tell you what, it, it really sunk in with me the uh, consistency of the Nesmith songs where they're almost, it's almost a song cycle. And if you were to mm. take the, the Nesmith songs and put them just put them on a tape back to back. You told me, and you just may be the one sunny girlfriend and the girl I knew somewhere. If you put them all back to back, it's like a, a, a beautiful song cycle. And it, it's almost the same song, but you know, four uh, portions of the same song, four movements. And I, I, I think this, this album is fantastic. And I, I, I love it just, just for that. Um, there, there's a couple of songs on there, like for Pete's sake, the, the Peter Tork, Joey Richards song, which I, I th ended up being used as uh, yes. over the closing credits mm -hmm. on the show, which is just a fantastic song. I, 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 I can't tell you how much I, I, I love that one. already mentioned Randy Scow's Gift, which I think is a great song. But the, one of the songs that stands out for me and just, you know, pinpoints Mickey Dolan's as just being one of the just out of the park singers was No Time. He just just wails on that song. Yeah, that's a great well, one. They actually gave away the credit for that one, too. That's a, that's a monkey's composition. <laughs> and they, they handed it over to their engineer who would help them out. And basically, I think, you know, as a thank you for helping uh, edit all those fumbling Mickey Dolan's drum tracks together. <laughs> 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 yeah, that would be Hank Sicolo. And uh, wow, it, it, I, I, I think that song is just, I remember playing that over and over and over again. But um, I guess I was a little bit OCD back in the day and probably still am. But uh, that, that song just really stands out for me. I, I can't agree more with what Bruce says about the, the Mike Nesmith songs on this really being the highlights. You know, you told me you just may be the one um, sunny girlfriend, especially sunny girlfriend, which is really underrated. Um, and uh, I, the thing about Sunny Girlfriend, uh, it's again, Mike Nesmith is doing country rock way before country rock is a thing. He, it's clearly that's what he was always interested in. He, mm -hmm. As I said, it showed up as early as Papa Jean's Blues and Sweet Young Thing. But now that he has full creative freedom to do it, he's, he's actually coming up with a version of it that to me is more kind of what I had hoped country rock would be when I first conceived of it as a genre. You know, I, I bought Sweetheart of the Rodeo by the Birds, and it's yeah. like, this is country rock. And I put it on and I listen to it. It's like, well, that that actually, that sounds like country music, straight up. It's a great <laughs> album. But it, it, it sounded very, very leaning heavily towards the countryside of country rock. Sunny Girlfriend is leaning towards the rock side of country rock. And I love that middle eight 
uh, where it goes, you know, well, while I am sleeping, into my head she comes creeping. It's just, you know, these, these, suddenly this explosion of harmony vocals that comes out of nowhere when you think it's going to be much more of a, of a bluesy country sort of a song. Oh, He just may be the one uh, as another one that everyone loves. I love it as well, although I will point out it bears more than a passing resemblance to a Goffin King song called I Don't Think You Know Me that uh, the band recorded back during their earlier sessions. Nesmith was the lead singer on that one, and they decided not to use it. It was never uh, never made it to any of their albums. And it's pretty obvious that Nesmith took some of the elements from that song and rearranged it into a better song, mind you. Uh, but I've always noticed the similarity between the two. <laughs> uh, and the last thing about Headquarters that, I, again, you guys have talked about already but really deserves to be celebrated is Randy Scouse Get which I think is a great song. It was actually the hit single from this record, of all things, and as uncharacteristic a single as you could imagine because it begins with these giant kettle drums yep. pounding and then like you know, a random one-fingered piano note and then like a little response on the bass, another, you know, ba 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 bum bum uh, it sounds like a song that would have been written by a person who had never had any prior experience in writing a song, <laughs> which is what kind of makes it fascinating and fun as a pop hit. That it, it's it's it, it is weird, as Scott points out, because it doesn't have it's not like Mike Nesmith, who was writing these very kind of self-assured pop tunes. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you know, something he'd been working on his entire you know early life and his musical career up until that point had prepared him for like writing these pop songs. Uh, Dolan's had never really tried to do any of this at all. And so what is it he comes up with? This thing that sounds kind of stitched together like a bit of a Frankenstein's monster, but is no less effective for that. And it's one of the reasons why I think it's certainly one of their weirdest uh, hit singles and one of their best. Uh, this is Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at Political underscore Beats, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in, subscribe for new episodes. I'm Scott Bertram. He's Jeff Blair. Bruce Edward Walker is our guest this week, freelance writer, contributor to The Federalist, host of the Acton Institute's weekly upstream pop culture pod podcast. Find him at Bruce Ed Walker. And that brings us to, I just have to flat out say this, if uh, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited was was released with the banner of any other band on it. I firmly believe it would be in the conversation of best albums of the '60s. This is I, dis I don't disagree. I think you're right. This is such a tremendous album from start to finish, and, and where I thought Headquarters was a little too much of "Hey, we're in charge. We can do what we want." They were smart enough to bring back some of the session guys. They were smart enough to bring back some of the outside riders. Chip Douglas, uh, the producer who also played some instruments on on the uh, on the album, uh, really helped them an awful lot. 
But this is an outstanding collection of songs from the very first one, Salesman, uh, a Mike Nesmith uh, vocal tune. This is one where Nesmith would sing songs that weren't written by him, which he didn't always do on the other albums. Chip Douglas plays a tremendous bass line, and it's a song about drug, drug dealers on a Monkees yeah. album. It, they get dark. Um, it, later on in the album, oh, speaking of dark and weird, Cuddly Toy, which is a, a Harry Nilsson tune. The first song Nilsson ever uh, uh, sold, apparently. He, he quit his job at the bank after the Monkees did Cuddly Toy. These are some very questionable lyrics. Yeah, that which, song is not about what you might no, think it's about. No, no, it's, not. it's, it's no. about, uh, well, how do I put this politely? It's about a woman who gets into a rather disreputable situation, I believe. Yes. With, uh, several men, uh, all at the same at time. At the same time. That, that but, was a pop hit in 1967 for the Monkees. But placed right up against Davy Jones's very cheery vocals. And, you know, it's a chorus verse chorus song. Those verses are just magnificently beautiful in, in Cuddly Toy. It's so much better than I remember it being, uh, listening to it as a, as a youth. Speaking of weird sex songs, uh, Star Collector is, I think, the last song on the album. Moog Synthesizer mm-hmm. being used. One of the very first songs and albums to use the Moog Synthesizer. It's just a song about groupies and just cynically and bitterly dismissing them. She only aims to please young celebrities. And then what I, I I think I'd love her, but I don't respect her. Star Collector is a great tune. And I don't want to take all the songs in the album, except uh, I will add, uh, I'll leave Pleasant Valley Sunday for somebody else. But Words is also one of my very oh! favorite Monkees songs. It's minor key, little psychedelic type feel to it. The Mickey and Peter vocals, the hauntingness of, of their trade-off on the vocals is, is great. And and it's the the uh, the build and release, the build of the, the verses to the release of the chorus. one of my favorite all-time Monkees tracks. There are more. I don't want to take all the thunder, so I'll let you guys have it. But this, again, this album should be, if you didn't say the Monkees right on the front, it'd be talked about as one of the best albums of the 60s. I am, I am convinced of that. Well, yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Cuddly Toy because I, I do have a... a a major problem. Maybe it was my older brother dragging me out of the room whenever Davy Jones songs came <laughs> on because he, he he did too much of that English music hall stuff, yeah. and uh, my my brother wouldn't let me listen to the Kinks whenever he was around, and uh, <laughs> a lot of it just came across as being rather twee. But uh, you know, I, I think you do a good job of describing what the song is about and how uh, Davy's vocal kind of subverts that message so you're thinking oh this is a sweet song and then until you finally listen to it so I, I i agree with you there my favorite song on the album is another nesmith performance of what am i doing hanging around yes, which was yes, written yes. by which oh, was yes. written by boomer castleman and michael martin murphy and boomer castleman um has just the most amazing career you know should be subject for another 90-minute episode because I, I I think the man was just a fantastic songwriter and an inventor. He 
invented what was basically the same thing invented by Cream and Godley from 10CC 10 years later, which was the gizmo. Mm -hmm. So he he, he developed a, a little guitar instrument that would and, and marketed it and was far more successful with it than Cream and Godley were with their gizmo. And he co-wrote, uh, what am I doing hanging around with Michael Martin Murphy? And it's just a wonderful Nesmith vocal performance. And yeah. it's it's just a tight song. It's so perfectly written, so perfectly constructed. Well, it's been a year or so, and I want to go back again. And if I get the money, well, I'll ride the same old train. But I guess your chances come but once, and boy, I sure missed mine. And still I can't stop thinking when I hear singing that song to my kids last week for no particular reason because that chorus is so catchy and sing along that's actually one of my you know maybe two three favorite monkey songs of all time i i love showing that to people who are like yeah you know country rock began with the birds and doing sweetheart of the rodeo i'm like well you know here's the monkeys in 1967 with banjos in the you know electric mandolin and uh, singing a straight up country song and i think a far better one than anyone on that album i might point out <laughs> as much as i love sweetheart i love what am i doing hanging around uh more than that even uh not only the harmonies and the way nesmith sings the lyric but there, there's this great just very kind of almost not country bass line uh, uh, by Chip Douglas, played by the yeah. producer, um, who just gets this wonderful um, plays, you know, notes that are outside your typical country scales and country chord progressions. Uh, that 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 keeps it into the pop mode. That that keeps that fusion between the two genres, you know, you know, sort of locked together. Uh, and it, it it turns it into the, in my mind, the undeniable highlight of this album. Of course, the other one is Pleasant Valley Sunday. Uh, which comes, I think, pretty much right after it. Uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday is one of those songs that everybody knows. It, it's another Gotham King song. It's you know, sort of like a sort of quasi-protest, more of a social observational song. You know, the local rock group down the street is trying hard to play their song. Um, you know, another Pleasant Valley Sunday here in status symbol land. But mm. it's just such a magnificent. Uh, guitar performance and then a vocal, vocal. performance. Yes. Uh, when uh, Davy Jones at the end of it goes in there, and then Mickey Dolenz goes in da, 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 <laughs> at the end of that song, and they roll right back into the Pleasant Valley Sunday chorus. It's just, it's just incredibly rousing rock music. <laughs> Valley 
Or earlier than that, too, Jeff, in the song, because the roses are in bloom and there's a TV in every room and the way the vocals harmonize on those two words are just perfect. 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 And the other stuff on this album, again, it's really, for me, all about uh, Nesmith. I love his two – he has two numbers uh, at the beginning of the album that were never released in singles but are just magnificent tunes. One of them is called The Door Into Summer, Mm -hmm. which is sort of a quasi kind of sci-fi fantasy, uh, you know, pastel. And then the other one is another one of the heaviest songs they ever did called Love Is Only Sleeping, which is, you know, these very kind of wailing and snarling guitars. And Nesmith just pushed right at the top of his register. So, you know, she looked at me and in her eyes I knew she could only see. And then you have, again, the the sha-la-la-la backing vocals and just these really kind of nice angular uh, you know, jumps and leaps in the melodic line of the chorus. Sometimes love is only sleeping. And these very, very kind of you know, plangent guitars playing in the background. She looked at me And her smile me warm and sweet and free And the moonlight kissed her eyes As it She whispered, sometimes love is only sleeping. And she whispered, sometimes love is only sleeping. Only sleeping. Only sleeping. Only sleeping. It's funny that, you know, people always you know, knocked the monkeys as being sort of ersatz rock or ersatz pop music. This is as authentic as anything that you would have ever heard on the charts in 1967. And they're playing all the music themselves too. Uh, It's just a great achievement. And I'm going to also give Davy Jones a little credit here saying, you know, for a guy who who very much liked the sort of, you know, snazzy show tune Broadway stuff uh, that kind of got on my nerves. One that he actually co-wrote that, comes off and I'm not even I can't even quite understand why I like it as much as I do it's hard to believe it's the first song on the second side of oh. it it's just <laughs> what'd you say I was, that's actually one of my least favorite songs least the favorite? I like it I like it I know I know it's it's just sort of chintzy but very, I don't know very man. Tony Orlando-esque it's it's it's, <laughs> it's smooth it, it just sort of flows along very pleasantly um I also think it's strange how this this album ends so weirdly. The last three songs, uh, Daily Nightly, mm-hmm. Don't Call on Me, and Star Collector, are all pretty uh, pretty bizarre. And uh, you know, I think they kind of made it a conscious point to put their most challenging material at the end of the record. Sure. Uh, but they all work out. Daily Nightly is about like the Sunset Strip riots, you know, where you know the hippies faced off against the police in Los Angeles. Same same uh, riots that uh, gave rise to. Uh, for what it's worth, by Buffalo Springfield, you know, stop. Hey, what's that sound? Um, don't call and, on me. And, is and trouble every day by Frank Zappa. And trouble every day, right? I, and then, of course, there's don't call on me, which is another Nesmith number. And then finally, Star Collector, which has one of the weirdest uses of the Moog synthesizer <laughs> uh, that you're going to hear on any rock record of this era or any era for that matter. It's used not as a melodic instrument, but basically just as you know, 
pure sonic noise production, and it, and, it, and it's a and it's a pretty pretty great use of it. I think it was actually played by Paul Moog, who who, who came down to the studio because Mickey Dolan's owned one of the first twenty of them that was ever purchased, mm-hmm. and he played it for them on that record. But this is just a fantastic album, and I can totally see why you know people think it's the best Monkeys album, and I think you know arguably really one of the best albums of the entire sort of sixty six sixty seven rock era. And there's some great foreshadowing on here, too. There's a Jeff Berry song, She Hangs Out, which yeah. is the second song on the album. And Jeff Berry, uh, as, as you two know, uh, ended up being the producer and major songwriter and one of the singers for the Archies. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll get to the Archies later because that was Don Kirshner's revenge. <laughs> um, so the next album, The Birds, The Bees, and The Monkeys, and I don't want to say it all fell apart. That's not true, but it was... It's a very different album. These were even more session musicians were brought in. Each individual monkey were producing uh, his own songs, and so you have very different, a very different feel to to almost every song on the album, or at least you know one third of the songs on the album. Peter Tork basically didn't take part in, in, on this record. He all his songs were rejected. He played a little piano on Daydream Believer, but that's it. Everything else was Jones and, and Nesmith and, and, and Dolan's. And so and a, Believer was actually an outtake from Pisces Aquarius yes. anyways. And, and so, so, was, so was one of the other great songs, which is Valerie. Uh, that was a boy's heart tune that they had recorded a couple different ways through the years. And uh, it finally ended up on the Birds, the Bees, and the Monkeys and was released as a single. Uh, and that, I, I, Valerie's not going to be on my top five, but I do love Valerie. That flamenco guitar, uh, the, the kind of the stacks-like horns. Uh, threw it on, on on this version of the of the song that horn breakdown after the first chorus ah that's good that's good stuff um, <laughs> voice and heart also contribute PO box nine eight four seven which is a Mickey vocal song I like that one uh, quite a bit um, I, I want to mention actually the the B side to the Daydream Believer single Daydream Believer was their last number one hit uh, it's never been my favorite Monkey song and listening back to it again now I think it's the the chorus is irrepressible I, the chorus is 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 really great. The verses aren't as good in my mind. I think that might be why I dismiss it a little bit. But the B side of Daydream Believer happens to be one of my favorite Monkeys tracks. It's called Going Down. It was uh, yep. I think an outtake from the Pisces sessions. Man, is this a great track. Mickey Dolan's as these high-speed scatting lyrics. There's these bubbling horns going through it. This giant sax solo and like the middle third or so the speed and tempo changes. Mickey's vocals come up over the end of the, the sax solo. The instruments drop out. You're left with just Mickey's voice, which gets down to almost a whisper. And then everything roars back for the last third of the song. Going Down is a tour de force for Mickey uh, Dolan's as a vocalist. And I, again, think it's one of their very, very best songs, released only as a, as a B-side. They would put it on compilations later on, and, and I think it may have been added on to a headquarters edition later on, too. But just such a big fan of Going Down. What a way to spend the night If I don't drown, I'll die of fright My fat bit taught me how to flow But I can't swim a single note He threw me in to teach me how I stayed there floating like a mama cow And now I'm floating way downstream No, this has to be a dream If I could find my way to shore I'd never, never do this anymore Like if you threw up and down But I'm going down Just one more time, go down I'm not going down Uh, but through the birds, they, bees, and monkeys doesn't work as well. So they, they actually they yeah. actually put that song in uh, the TV series as well. 
And uh, that that was my first exposure to it. It was like, where do you get this song? Because it wasn't on the album <laughs> that my sisters had. Like, I I, I need to have this. I, I I need to mainline this because this that was sheer amphetamine. It was fantastic. Yeah. And see, that makes sense because I I'm trying to piece things together in my mind. I knew I knew I knew I know I knew gro- going down while I was growing up. You know, eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight. But it wasn't on the headquarters LP I had. And I'm trying to find out why did I know that song so well? It's probably because I saw that episode of the show so often. <laughs> For me, the birds, the bees, and the monkeys is like a Mike Nesmith EP, uh, around which a lot of other stuff that isn't very good has been sandwiched. So, Nesmith has four songs on this record, and, and they're very, very stylistically diverse. Okay, mm-hmm. there's there's Auntie's Municipal Court, which is this very kind of beautiful loping, folky, sort of dreamy number that I think actually Mickey Dolenz takes the lead vocals on. Uh, he handed them over to him because I think he figured that you know Dolenz would do a better job with it than he did. And then there's Tapioca Tundra, which was uh, actually uh, a a sort of a, a minor hit single, yeah. but it, it, it's it's much more in the sort of, although it's a bit, you know, it's got a bit of that, um, you know, flamenco uh, sort of almost South American groove going on. It, it, the, the lyrics are, are pure psychedelic hogwash, which I'm okay with. And then <laughs> Speaking of pure psychedelic hogwash, this is one that actually divides a lot of people, but I like quite a bit, called Writing Wrongs, which is, I think, the longest song the Monkees ever did, or the second longest song they ever did. It's, 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 it's over five minutes. Yeah. Um, it's a very long, uh, based around a, a repetitive piano groove. Uh, again, uh, Nesmith is, is, is moving as far away from country as he possibly can on all these records, uh, except for the last one, which is Magnolia Sims, which he self-consciously recorded to make it sound like uh, an old 78, mm-hmm. complete with scratches and vinyl and hits. Sk- and skips, yeah. And skips, right. You know, he yeah. goes to that last little Magnolia, Magnolia, <laughs> Magnolia, at the end, and you're like, I only heard it on CD for the first time, so the effect was obviously lost on me the way uh, it it wasn't on people who originally had the vinyl album. But Mm -hmm. those four songs are all really interesting. And, of course, each of the band members was kind of off in their own, you know, special room or in a session, you know, recording their material, the material they wanted to do. So that's why Nesmith stuff sounds so different than the rest of the band's. As for the rest of the record, um, the only stuff that I really care for are uh, two of the Mickey Dolan's numbers. Uh, I really like I'll Be Back Up On My Feet, uh-huh. which is an underrated song. Uh, they had, This is a remake of, of one that they had done originally during the Don Kirshner era. It's a you know, a very kind of a poppy, uh, you know, uh, snappy little number that they'd recorded for the TV show. Uh, but they did a remake of it uh, for this album that is far superior. And it begins with this sort of, you know, thumping percussive beat that almost sounds like somebody playing a gyro or, or like one of those uh, weird South American, um, you know, like shaker percussion instruments. Boom, 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 something you might hear on like a late 69 Miles Davis session, which gives it a very strange initial percussive sound before all the pop stuff like the harpsichords come in.
And then the last one I want to single out is the final song, Zoran Zam, uh, which is interesting to me because it proves that Mickey Dolenz was better at being Grace Slick than Grace Slick. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. He, uh, as I said at the beginning, you know, he, he is such a versatile voice, and he's capable of doing so many different things. But this is the first time, it won't be the last time, there's another even better song coming up on the next record um, where he sounds like he is channeling the Jefferson airplane. He sounds exactly like Grace Slick's tone. Not just, you know, that register she sings it, but the very declaratory, declaiming kind of, you know, um, you know, starting off quiet like the king of Zor, he called for war. It sounds very much like something uh, Grace Slick would have come up with on Crown of Creation, like Lather, if you ever heard that song. Um, sure. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a remarkable act of uh, musical cosplay, to use a phrase that comes up on our show every now and then. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm pretty fond of it, but uh, I'm, I'm not too fond of the rest of this record. I find the Davy Jones songs in particular, outside of Daydream Believer, to just be oh, gratingly awful. You don't I like can't. Valerie? No, I don't like Valerie, actually. <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm, don't hate it, but I don't really care for Valerie. I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of got a nice intro, but the, 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 the melody line and the verse is pedestrian. The chorus gets tiresome after a while. I'm not going to turn it off if it's on, but I don't ever want to like, go intentionally to hear it for its own purposes. Right. As the Debbie Jones songs go, it's probably the best one, but I, I'm with you. And I, I listened to this album just last night because it was the one that kind of left me scratching my head for, for years and years, decades. And uh, basically the, the little note that I made in my notebook was harpsichord hell. <laughs> and, and there's just way too much harpsichord on this. And it's just, it's mixed way up front. And it, it, it's like, you have stellar musicians in the band, you have stellar musicians at your disposal for crying out loud, get rid of the stinking harpsichord. This is not a Brian Auger album. You know, do do something different. Yeah, like we were made for each other. Oh God, that's oh, just stop. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> Political beats, but, uh, talking about the monkeys, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and Bruce Edward uh, Walker. Find them on Twitter at Bruce Ed Walker. Contributor to the Federalist, host of the Acton Institute's weekly upstream pop culture podcast and freelance writer before we go to head do you want to add one more thing there bruce uh no i, w I was going to say that uh, i i think up till this point in time in their career this was their nadir but uh i think they come back remarkably with and i'll throw it to you oh yes i've been waiting all show long for this one <laughs> go ahead jeff kick it off Okay, so let's explain some things. Uh, right after the Birds, the Bees, and the Monkeys came out, the Monkeys TV series had been canceled. I'm still not sure why. It seemed to be getting pretty good ratings. Everyone liked it. Maybe the production costs were too high, hard to get songs. I don't know. But it was over after two seasons. Uh, so what happened next? Well, the only thing that you would expect. Now it's time for the movie. Yes, the Monkeys movie. This is a thing that exists. And it is actually more than just a thing that exists. It is an authentic cultural artifact and one that I uh, in a strange way I don't know how I can rationally recommend it to you but I strongly <laughs> recommend it to you I think Head which is the name of the 1968 movie uh, starring the monkeys uh, with a cast of thousands including guest appearances by Frank Zappa and others uh, is just a, a wonderfully strange 
inauguration of countercultural cinema. It's not like there hadn't been counterculture movies made up until this point. Uh, you can see, you know, there's stuff like Jack Nicholson in The Trip, if you ever saw that. Uh, you know, there's exploitation stuff done by Roger Corman. But Head is important uh, almost as much for what it is, but because of the people who made it. Uh, the, the guys who came up with the entire monkeys idea, who actually started this ball rolling, were guys named Bob Rafelson and Bert Schneider. All right, these guys were incredibly important players on the Hollywood scene. This was gonna, this is Bob Rafelson's first ever film that he directed. Uh, the next film he was involved with was a little thing called Easy Rider. Uh, which he didn't direct, but he produced. Then after that, he made a little film that you may have heard of, starring a guy you may have heard of called Five Easy Pieces, hmm. which got nominated for every important Oscar in 1970. And after that, he made The King of Marvin Gardens. He went on to make The Postman Always Rings Twice uh, later on in the 80s. This guy was a major force in early 1970s you know, cinema and defining what, you know, sort of what the golden age of cinema was going to be. And he started with this. Uh, and one of the more even interesting footnotes that that, uh, uh, than that is the guy who wrote the script for The Monkey's Head. Uh, as an actor, you yes. may have heard of and seen in a few small roles throughout his career named Jack Nicholson. Yes, that Jack Nicholson is the writer of Head and the producer of the album Head. He's the one who assembled this out of the songs and the various sound bites and clips and mm -hmm. sort of um, uh, mixed up, meddled up, uh, you know, uh, assembled fragments of noise from the movie into a record that only has six actual songs. There are uh, 14 tracks on the album Head, but there are only six actual songs. Despite this fact, I would argue this is the Monkees' best album, and in a way, probably the the closest they ever came to making a profound, if sort of profoundly sad and cynical statement uh, on the culture of the late 60s, uh, of the way hippie culture was turning into something much more cynical, much more aggressive, um, much more, uh, I would say, downbeat than its initial summer of love you know, expression during the 66, 67 era. This is an, a movie, mind you, that begins, begins with Mickey <laughs> Dolan's committing suicide by jumping from the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> and it ends with the entire band trying to commit suicide again <laughs> by jumping from the Golden Gate Bridge. And in between, it's a large commentary on how they, as a band, a very self-aware commentary on how they are, you know, pre-packaged, bought and sold, commercialized, commodified entities, and how they struggle to break free from it, and how they're never quite successful at doing that, even as they search for meaning in a society that seems determined to strip it out of them. Now, that sounds like a really pretentious thing, and it is kind of pretentious, but it's all assembled in a package that is uh, as sort of deliberately zany and weird and geared towards, you know, the, the humor of incongruous juxtapositions, as you can get, I think almost head, it almost feels like a tribute to early Frank Zappa, you know, in that the, it opens with all of these like little, you know, excerpts from the film, quotes that are jammed together from different parts of the movie for humor that uh, create music concrete. And then it goes into the actual songs themselves. And I can't say enough good things about these songs. All six of these songs are among the best the monkeys ever, 
ever recorded. There's the Porpoise Song, which is the main theme. It's another Goffin and King song. Uh, one of these things I think uh, even people who don't like the monkeys listen to, and they're like, uh, wow, I have never heard that before. Circle Sky, Can You Dig It? Um, Peter Tork's uh, Do I Have to Do This All Over Again? That's good. But the one that I think is the best song the monkeys ever did, full stop, is this beautiful number set in 5-4 with Neil Young on guitars, of all things, called As We Go Along. And it is Mickey Dolan's sounding again like Grace Slick, but at this time not in you know sort of a stern declamatory rock track, but one of the most beautiful, achingly pure folk rock numbers that any band of the 60s ever played. This to me is as good as anything on Love's Forever Changes, and I think far more uh, you know rationally comprehensible for that matter. It is a masterpiece. It is their finest achievement. It's only one of several highlights on an album that, that almost nobody outside of hardcore fans is aware of, but uh, you're going to love it. It's it's short. It's like 28 minutes long. Put right. it on, listen to the whole thing from start to finish, and it is a cultural artifact that actually says something valuable about the era that it comes from. I I, I couldn't agree more. The my, my, my take on watching the film, and I, I watched it again last night, was that uh, you have Dennis Hopper kind of like walking across, Jack Nicholson walking across as uh, Peter Tork is arguing with the director as to whether he should be hitting a woman who is not a woman, she's actually a man. <laughs> and you end up scratching your head when, when Davy Jones gets his clock cleaned by Sonny Liston and Annette <laughs> Funicello does this wonderful, wonderful cameo as does uh, Timothy Carey. And the the television switching channels at the very beginning and at the end uh, reminds me not only of, I, I think you were referencing We're Only In It For The Money by the Mothers of Invention, which, yeah. is, which is just a masterpiece. And I, I love that album. Um, it also kind of predates the Firesign Theaters Don't Crush That Dwarf, yes. which, is, which is just a surreal classic. And the Firesign Theater does an amazing job. And I, I can't recommend that album enough but I, I think that head actually predates that and and equals it in just sheer brilliance every Scott? time every time we go and we dig into the uh the, the catalogs there's almost always one that i i uh wish i wish i would have known about earlier wish i would have spent more time on i don't know why i didn't listen to uh to head uh earlier probably because it was a bit strange the movie was a bit strange it was all a bit strange songs on here are really outstanding. I don't think it's as good as Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, Jones Limited, but uh, but the, the songs are high quality. They're different. Porpoise Song is the one that, if you know one, it's probably that one, but 
Circle Sky, a Nesmith tune, uh, is like the monkeys imagined as a power trio, almost a Bo Diddley beat to it. And Peter Tork, who you know didn't write a ton and certainly didn't didn't sing sing a ton, uh, contributes maybe my favorite track on Head, which is "Can You Dig It." Uh, doesn't sing, but it's one that he wrote. Got a little Middle Eastern kind of Spanish vibe to it as well. Uh, Tork said he had the idea for the song going back to high school, so it's it's one that had hung around for a while. And the I said the drum sound on "Can You Dig It" sounds extremely modern. It sounds like something that you would hear from a from a '90s alt rock band almost. Yeah. Uh, "Can You Dig It" is a really fine song. Those who know it, use it. Those who stone it, die. To sing that you can dig it is to make your soul fly. Heaven, can you dig it? And then from the non-songs, you know, the Diddy Diego War Chant, I think it's the second track on the album, it's a minute and 14 seconds, whatever. The monkeys kind of breaking the third wall, going meta, talking about themselves and their career, and, you know, they, they were a made-for-TV kind of band. It, it's an interesting listen, and all four of the members get a chance to uh, kind of take over the lead vocals, if you will, uh, on that tune. So, as Jeff said, it's short. It's only six actual songs. I think they're all worthwhile to hear. Uh, if nothing else, is almost a, uh, should we put a last gasp of the monkeys uh, in their in their original form? How good is this album? It's so good that even the Davy Jones song, which is a full Broadway <laughs> show tune, is great. Gary Gilson. Yeah, it's a Gary yeah, Gilson song. song. And yep. in fact, yeah. it's one of those things where, again, it, it, the, the lyrics work kind of brilliantly against the arrangement. That, you know, it's, again, it's this Broadway thing. In fact, in the movie, he sings it basically in like a silver, you know, tux and tails. And he's doing this whole, like, I'm dancing on stage thing. And he's singing a song about... How he was abandoned by his father as a child. <laughs> so exactly. He's a horribly lonely life. And this is a very depressing lyric. Um, and again, it's just a very, in a way, sort of summarizes a lot of the album itself where they smuggle in some very dark and very interesting and, and, and rather cynical in a lot of ways messages uh, into what you're supposed to, at first impression, think of as it's just another Pop Monkeys album. It's a lot more than that. Absolutely. And in the film, when uh, he sings and dances to uh, Daddy's song, he, it's choreographed and his dancing partner is Tony Basil. And afterwards, it's when Frank Zappa, playing the critic, leading an ox, tells him that uh, they are all the children look to the monkeys for the future and he should work more on his singing than on his dancing <laughs> that song was pretty white <laughs> yep 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 that, <laughs> monkeys are the craziest peoples right is what the the accents are saying but so, uh one of the things that uh, occurred to me when i was watching it last night was that uh this was probably a movie that the beatles would have been afraid to make uh, remember, they were uh, scheduled to do a, a movie based on a screenplay written by Joe Orton mm -hmm. called Up, Up Against Talent It. Talent for Loving, right? Wasn't that what it was? Uh, Up Against It. Oh, my and, bad. And um, it, it incorporated elements from another 
script that he had written called From Head to Toe. So I, I think that there's a, a, a certain uh, cocking a snook at, at the Beatles here saying, okay, you don't dare doing, do the things that we're doing because we, we are basically deconstructing ourselves and saying goodbye to all of this. It, it, it's a pretty amazing uh, tour de force as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I can't say enough wonderful things about the actual music in the movie, but the, the movie in and of itself is just so far ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was 1968, the very next year, 1969, the Monkees uh, release Instant Replay. I, I have kind of grouped these next three albums, and you guys can feel free to uh, to take them as you wish. But Instant Replay would go to 32 on the charts. The Monkees Present would be 100. The Monkees and Changes would be 152. The TV show was canceled. Uh, that avenue of promotion was gone. Instant Replay contains a bunch of, uh, at least a handful of leftover tracks. Peter Tork leaves the band before Instant Replay. They're down to a trio. Uh, on uh, Present, Monkeys Present, by that point, the label didn't really care at all. They did a lot of, I think of the three, Present is the most interesting. And then on Changes, I'll, I'll only say Mickey Dolenz's quote sums this up. Mainly fulfilling a contractual obligation to a record company. That's what Changes is all about. That's Mickey. Feel the excitement. Yes. On Instant Replay, I mentioned uh, Through the Looking Glass, which is the first track on the album. That's a Dolan's uh, vocal tune. I I like Teardrop City was the single, which didn't do that well. It's almost a Last Train to Clarksville rewrite, uh, another voice and and heart tune. On uh, Monkeys Present, I I, um, had mentioned Mickey Dolan's weirdness earlier, and it certainly comes out on the Monkeys Present. He has a couple of songs, and they're all off the beaten path. Even his vocal performance, he's not... uh, He's not his usual Mickey singing. It's it's like almost a low croon in some places. And Little Girl is a whispered, crooning vocal. Uh, the one track, Bye Bye Baby Bye Bye, is a Dolan's track. It's very strange. Uh, actually, the, the chorus has the same pattern. If you know the Andy Grammer song, Honey, I'm Good, it's got that same pattern. Bye Bye Baby Bye Bye. Bye Bye Baby Bye Bye Don't Make You Cry I was just reading an interview with Mickey about why he didn't make more music during the 70s and, and 80s and 90s. Why he didn't continue being a, uh, a musician. Because that voice, it's a, it's a, it's a tremendous voice. And uh, Dolan said, look, I'm just not a guy that uh, that, that writes a lot of songs. He, d- he didn't have an interest in writing songs, apparently, after the monkeys were done. And he said, unless someone came to me and said, here, sing this, he wasn't all that interested in doing more music. But... It would be interesting in a you know parallel universe to find out what he would do based on his contributions to the monkey, monkeys present because it is really weird in a good way, uh, weird in a good way. And one other note from uh, present uh, present present, uh, listen to the band is a Nesmith tune, Nashville sound, rock and roll influence. Uh, it's just a it's a wonderful wonderfully sounding song. And he loved it so much he recorded it again with his his next band after the Monkees. Yeah, magnetic on Magnetic South, I believe, which yeah. is his first yep. solo album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, my my thought uh, on instant replay is that, yeah, first of all, it's really telling that uh, the only song that uh, the, most of the songs on this aren't actually current songs. Most of them come from the vaults, which just shows you how like they were running out of, you know, time, inspiration, I guess, patience uh, from the studio executives because they weren't making the hits anymore. Uh, there's one song on this record that I really think is magnificent and is, is as good as anything on the original two albums, The Monkees or More From The Monkees. The reason I, I use those as the measuring stick is that it's actually from those sessions. It's actually from their earliest sessions. It's a song called I Won't Be The Same Without Her. Hmm. It's um, another Mike Nesmith uh, lead vocal. It's a Goffin and King song, and you always know that's a good sign. <laughs> it is a beautiful little pop number with all these very, very interesting uh, suspended chords and you know harmonics uh, with a great little pre-chorus that you know has you know Mickey singing in the background with these little fluttery backing vocals up until a high note, and then it tumbles into the I Won't Be the Same Without Her refrain. Uh, a great little pop song that just glides by in like, you know, two and a half minutes and was never, of course, released as a single. Uh, it's the best song on Instant Replay. The other one that I think is worth singling out, uh, if for nothing else than the sheer oddity value, if you've ever wondered what it would sound like to hear Southern Man era Neil Young playing with Davy Jones of the Monkees, this song exists, and it's called You and I. And it's the first song. It's one of the only songs that was actually recorded, you know, contemporaneously with the album at mm -hmm. those sessions for it. And it's a Davy Jones number. He wrote it. Uh, with you know, he co-wrote it with another guy, and you know he's singing about like sort of the vicissitudes of fame and fortune, kind of the monkeys' commercial fortunes at that time. Uh, but then in the background, there's Neil Young doing this screaming guitar lead that sounds like you know something he would have played off of uh, a live Buffalo Springfield performance or uh, you know a CSNY show or as I said, you know the Loner or Southern Man. And you know I don't know how the heck he got roped into doing the sessions for the monkeys of all things, but it's a pretty good song. And it's also just, uh, it, it's a very heavy song. It, again, you know, probably the only time Davy Jones was ever found singing a true rock number. <laughs> uh, definitely worth finding. Uh, just for no other reason that, you know, if you ever wanted, it's the answer to a trivia question, you know, like when did Davy Jones and Neil Young collaborate? Well, they did on this song and it's pretty good. Um, when it comes to present, uh, it's almost a country album. I mean, it's not because there are like a lot of other like, you know, there's some Mickey and Davey stuff. But the overwhelming thing you come you get from this record are the Mike Nesmith numbers. And he is going hard into country at this point. He's 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 beyond giving a rip about, you know, the charts. And so, like, you know, good, clean fun is a straight up country hoedown. And uh, Listen to the Band, again, is another one that is country rock in the best possible sense, that it feels more rock than it does country, but it's very clearly country-influenced. You can hear those pedal steel guitars that are playing in the verses, even though the chorus with like the big brassy horns feels almost like a, 
sort of a Stax Volte kind of a thing. It, it, it's a really interesting musical fusion. Uh, but beyond that, you know, I don't really care for uh, a lot of the rest of the music on these albums. I think uh, actually some of the better stuff are outtakes. There's a little little number called Calico Girlfriend Samba that was an outtake you could find as a bonus track on the Rhino reissue of The Monkeys Present. It's just another little soft little samba number with country tinges by Nike Nesmith. Really kind of worth hearing if you're a fan, especially if you're a fan of Nesmith's solo material. Uh, but the rest of this, it was really clear that the end was near. I, I don't, I listened to changes maybe two or three times in my entire life, and it's never made a single impression upon me. I I, you know, well, they, I'm I mean, trying tr- to even remember what would jump out to me. Maybe oh my my, maybe 99 pounds, but it, it's it's not. It's it's just pop leftovers, and it's depressing to say that because they were down to two. Mike Nesmith left after the Monkees present, and so it was just Davy Jones and Mickey Dolenz, basically as Scott said, filling a contractual obligation. I don't really have much to say about it. Well. the, the the way I like to compare it, I once worked in uh, the automotive PR racket, and uh, I like comparing their previous work to this trilogy of albums to the Monkey Mobile, which was a pretty hot, you know, <laughs> modified Pontiac GTO, and it's almost like they traded it in for. Uh, uh, 1986 Nova. <laughs> it, 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 it got you where you were going, but not in the same style as previous. So there, there's, like you've mentioned, I Won't Be the Same Without Her from Instant Replay, which I think is a, a great um, Richie Furry type sounding song from Buffalo Springfield. And I, I like that, but, and the the monkeys present. Uh, I like good, clean fun. Listen mm-hmm. to the band. Hey, hey, mercy woman plays a song and no one listens. I need help. I'm falling again. Play the drum a little louder. Tell me I can live without her if I only listen to the band. Listen to the band. and Calico Girlfriend, but the rest of it I think is really kind of not so much. And then you get to changes, and now you have uh, the the transition of the monkeys into what essentially is a proto or contemporaneous Archies, because you got got Andy Kim's songs and... uh, 99 pounds which is a, a, a kind of a nice little elvis presley soundtrack song i mean you hear it and you think well this is something that elvis would do in one of his crummier movies you know <laughs> when he's singing do the clam then he'll follow it up with 99 pounds but other than that you think okay, it, i i i I, I think, again, it's an 86 Nova. used to have an 86 Nova. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't, the, wasn't that great a car. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, <laughs> after, uh, after changes, things, things came to an end. Uh, there was just two of them left. Since then, you had, you know, random reunions, a couple of albums. Um, so there was a greatest hits collection called Then and Now, The Best of the Monkeys that would come out in 86 
when the TV show was getting traction, and that's the one that Jeff and I both had. I think Jeff had it on CD. I actually had it on record. I went to Venture to buy it because I wanted it. Uh, the the single actually scraped the top twenty, I believe. And Pretty good was, song, you know, of for eighties pop, right? I mean, you think of all the garbage eighties pop. Tune's called "That Was Then, This Is Now," and it holds up pretty well. It holds up as well as anything else from that era. It sounds pretty good, and Mickey's vocals are still in very fine form. Uh, then there was a album called "Pool It," which you should not listen to under any circumstances. Yeah, no. one no. called "Just no. Us," which was uh, just the Monkees, kind of an idea of doing headquarters all over again. And, and this was this was yeah significant because Mike Nesmith finally correct. was back in the fold and That's he right. was involved in this one. Should mention that I mean Nesmith uh, kept the Monkees at very arm's length for quite a long time. Even with the spike in popularity in '86, he did not do the reunions. He did not do the albums. He actually guested for one song uh, on a, I think at a show in California in '86, and that was about it. But he came back for Just Us, and he also was there for Good Times, which came out I think in 2016, and guys. This is surprisingly good. Um, good, it, it is. But but with the I people, I haven't heard in, it actually. I feel bad now. So I'll, I'll tell oh, you. Man. Seriously, you could knock me over with a feather. I, I when I first heard it, I went, "Are you kidding me? This is so <laughs> stinking good." That the people involved, song though. for song, yeah, song for song is it's just a, it's just an amazing song, and, and they, they got Andy Partridge to contribute to it. I mean. How cool is that? Yeah, and that might be the best song on the album. It's called You Bring the Summer. It has a very XTC uh, feel to it. Um, I'm looking at the credits to this. I'm actually being blown away. Yeah, they were all Monkees fans. Rivers Cuomo, Andy Partridge, Noel Gallagher, and Paul Weller. Holy crap. So Adam Schlesinger from the great, great band Fountains of Wayne was brought in to executively (laughs) produce this album. And um, he ended up getting people involved uh, uh, who were big fans of the Monkees to contribute and, and write songs. And so you had uh, Andy Partridge, Rivers Cuomo, Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie, Paul Weather, uh, Weller and Noel Gallagher uh, also are, are on the album. And then the band playing with the Monkees was Fountains of Wayne, basically. It was jo- Jody Porter, Brian Young, uh, Adam Schlesinger, both, all of those guys are ace musicians. And then a guy who's popped up on the show at least twice before, Mike Viola, uh, who's also a great songwriter and a great performer. And there are some really good songs. You Bring the Summer, the XTC track, or the, uh, the Andy Partridge track is very good. Me and Magdalena, uh, where Nesmith and oh. Dolan's vocals uh, harmonize. It was the Ben Gibber track. That is phenomenal. Tell me, Magdalena, what do you see in the depths of your And uh, the, the Weather and Gallagher track I like, too, is called Birth of an Accidental Hipster. The only criticism I have is that Good Times somewhat reimagines the Monkees as an upbeat summer-type band. And certainly they had their, their pop tunes, but, you know, knowing the Monkees' catalog as we know it, there was, a, there was some darkness <laughs> in the lyrics. Weirdness. There was some weirdness, and that doesn't necessarily show up here. A little bit on that, on that Ben Gibbard-written uh, track. But by and large, this is far better than anyone had any reason to expect from the monkeys in 2016. 
I am going to have to go back and check it out. It, it's very <laughs> rare that I can actually admit, like, I've never heard it. I have nothing to say about it. But this time I actually feel embarrassed. Great. That's good stuff. Yeah, I highly <laughs> recommend at least a, a listen to here. And Dolan's again... Look, he, he doesn't hit the high notes the way he used to, but it's still the, the recognizable Mickey Dolans uh, that you'll hear on uh, on Good Times. He's like seventy. I think I can forgive him. He's like know. yeah, he's like seventy four. I mean, Nesmith is I think seventy six now. I don't think we'll see another reunion tour uh, after the last one, but who knows? Who knows? All right, oh. we have uh, we have reached that portion of the show where we all involved give you the two albums you should own from our band at our five tracks that you need to hear. Uh, and we always give our guests uh, the floor first. So Bruce Edward Walker, contributor to The Federalist, host of the Acton Institute's weekly upstream pop culture podcast, freelance writer. The floor is yours to give us your two key albums and your five tracks from the Monkees. Two albums. You got to give Don Kirshner his due. And more of the Monkees is just song for song for song, just an amazing album, great selection of songwriters, great selection of songs. And when they fired Kirshner, I think they, they sort of kind of lost their mojo because they didn't realize how much he actually did for the band, how much he performed for them. That being said, headquarters blows me away. I, I, I think this was the, the, the best, album that Mike Nesmith has ever recorded throughout his entire career. He just, you know, he just had oodles of songs. It, it, it was like Nesmith's All Things Must Pass, where he takes, all, you know, George Harrison took was saving all of these songs that he couldn't use before and just unleashed them in the studio and <laughs> did fantastic jobs on all of them. So those are my, 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 my two must-have albums. And your five songs? Holy cow. I know, it's um, not easy. Yeah. And, 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 and the weird thing about it is I have to go to other albums to pick their five best songs. <laughs> so, um, you know, sue me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a rock fan, not, and I'm anything but uh, consistent. But um, I, I love Words by Boyce and Hart off of Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, Jones Limited, uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday. Uh, going Down is a... a one of the greatest songs. So I'm, I'm probably over my limit by, by there. And then I, I could take any number of songs that Nesmith wrote that uh, would uh, fit the bill for me. Name two. What am I doing hanging around? Uh, and uh, you told me, or you just may be the one. You, I'll, I'll, I'll let <laughs> listeners decide which two out of those three that they would take. But again, if, if, if you were to take the you told me and cut out the songs in between, you just may be the one. Those songs fit together so perfectly yeah. where the bass line just ends and then picks up right again with you just may be the one. It's so utterly fantastic. It's it, I, I can't say enough about them, so that that's that's where I fall. I
just may be the one. Uh, let's see, my two albums, um, I, I agree with, with Bruce in that you cannot deny the greatness of, of more of the monkeys. Um, look, the, the guys were only singing. They weren't playing instruments. They weren't writing except for Nesmith. But the songs track for track on more of the monkeys. If you're only going to have two, again, only two albums, I think more of the monkeys has to be one of them. She is just a tremendous track. You got Step in Stone and I'm a Believer. The Nesmith tracks here are very, uh, very strong. Uh, you know, Davy Jones's vocals are pretty good on his tracks. More of the Monkeys, I think, has to be one of the two. And the other one, I suppose, to no surprise, based on my previous uh, praise, is Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. I love virtually every track on this album, save maybe Hard to Believe and maybe Don't Call on Me. Even uh, Don't Call on Me every now and then will, will strike me in the right way. But from the very start in Salesman, Nesmith is so strong with the door into summer and love is only sleeping, cuddly toy and words and Pleasant Valley Sunday and Star Killer. This is, again, by any other name, by any other, put anything else on that LP uh, as the artist, and it would be talked about as one of the best albums of the, the 60s, of this era of the 60s. I just, I just, I really don't doubt that. The songs are so strong. Uh, my top five songs, I thought this would be really difficult and to be honest, it wasn't. Not because there aren't so many great songs to choose from, but as I went down my list and said, well, these have to be there, I got to about five that I think are like head and shoulders above the rest. I think there's actually two or three uh, uh, of, of, of Bruce's list that are going to appear here, but oh well. What am I doing hanging around? The Nesmith uh, vocal, the Michael, uh, Mar- Michael Murphy uh, track, is... For Country Rock, it does not get any better than that. It is just a great vocal performance, sing-along chorus. What Am I Doing Hanging Around is is just an outstanding Monkees track. Speaking of great vocals, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Mickey Dolan's Nails It, and the other guys with the backing vocals and the back and forth, fantastic. Pleasant Valley Sunday is an out-of-the-park home run track. I love A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You. There's one Davy Do- Davy Jones track on my five, and it's a little bit me, a little bit you, a Neil Diamond uh, tune released as a as a single. You won't find it on the albums. A single, you find the greatest hits, of course. Uh, words from Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. Love that buildup from the verses into the explosion at the chorus. And the final track was a Pisces uh, outtake, which is Going Down, which Bruce mentioned. I think Going Down is such a tour de force for Dolan's vocals and the instrumentation again that middle third or so with the sax and the dropout and the way everything roars back uh, to close out the song I love going down so I I mean there are tons of great monkey songs those five I think really stand above the rest for me well you know they say you can't deny the greatness of more of the monkeys but I sure can <laughs> uh, um, so I mean it's not that I'm denying the greatness of it. It's a great I album. Know. But it's not one of my two favorite albums. The two albums that I would recommend, uh, the first one is, and we're all agreed on this, it's Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. It's just a magnificent album. It's one of the great albums of the late 60s, of the rock era, uh, which sounds like a strange thing to say about a band that was was widely mocked and made fun of in its time, uh, as the monkeys were. But listen, people, you listen to this record. It's magnificent. Uh, and then the other one is Head. Uh, which, you know, you might say, well, that's not an album. If you think about it, it's almost like a glorified EP. I don't care. Uh, it is uh, a document uh, all its own. It's actually a pleasure to listen to. It's one of the very rare albums I ever hear where I don't 
ever skip the non-musical tracks, like the sort of movie excerpts and the little like mashed up vocal clips. I listen to that just as much as I listen to all of the music. And when it's all put together, it, it actually makes its own sort of weird, unfocused proto-countercultural statement about, you know, America – in 1968 for youth culture uh, that you would never have expected to come from the monkeys of all people. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, not only them, but, you know, the hand of Jack Nicholson and Bob Rafelson certainly played a role in making that record the sort of, you know, the statement that it is and the fact that it coheres despite, you know, by all odds, it should not have. I think it's a magnificent achievement. Um, as for my five songs, gosh, you know, I actually have six here, so I'm going to have to throw <laughs> one of them out. Um, Oh, screw it. If Bruce can name more than five, I'm going to do it too. Uh, I'm going to start with I'm Not Your Stepping Stone off of More of the Monkeys. Uh, you know, if you're going to go with any one of those early songs, uh, it's got to be that, which is, you know, proto punk, uh, you know, so authentically nasty sounding that actual punk bands in the late 70s were, you know, unafraid to cover it and not feel like they were embarrassing themselves or losing their credibility in a scene that valued musical credibility so highly. That's how good and authentic a rock tune it is. My second song might be The Girl I Knew Somewhere, which mm. is the B-side of A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You. Yeah. Uh, it's the first song where the Monkees wrote all the uh, all their music and played all their instruments. It's got a, you know, a really snappy little guitar riff and like a nice, uh, fun little harpsichord solo uh, played in sort of quasi-in-my-life Beatles style by Peter Tork. Really fun song. <laughs> Then we get to Pisces Aquarius, which is just such a great album. But I'm going to go with uh, three songs. First, of course, is What Am I Doing Hanging Around? I agree with both of you guys. It It is right up there with maybe maybe my top two monkey songs ever. It, it is uh, one of the great country rock songs of the era. It is just a pleasure and a joy to hear every time it comes on. Uh, right when it gets to the end, I go right back to the beginning. Uh, the other one I would name is Love Is Only Sleeping. Uh, which is a very heavy rock number, another Me Nesmith lead vocal singing really at the top of his range, uh, sounding uh, very yeah. different than from his normal singing voice, but really just you know uh, pushing it with a, with a pretty hysterical vocal and uh, musical approach that, uh, that, that really kind of holds together you know, even now. Then Pleasant Valley Sunday is the other one from Pisces uh, that I would name, and it doesn't really need any introduction because it, it's another Pleasant Valley Sunday, and we've heard this song since we were children. And then the last song I will name, it, which is actually my favorite monkey song of all time, is As We Go Along from Head. Uh, I think it's Mickey Dolan's finest vocal. I think it's uh, some of the finest music the, the band ever put out under their own name. It's also got Neil Young playing electric and acoustic guitars in the background. And the funny thing is, is he's playing with like three other guys, but you can hear the parts that are Neil Young because Neil Young just sounds like Neil Young when he plays his guitar. And it's fun to hear it come through. As we go along, is just... Uh, 
it's one of those things that I always lay on people when they think they, of the monkeys and they think <laughs> it's like, you know, here we come walking down the street or I'm a believer. I'm like, no, no, no. They were much more than that. They were this too. And I never get a bad reaction from it. And I want everyone who's listening to the show to listen to that song as well. There we go. The political beats look at the monkeys. And uh, as you can tell, we are all in agreement. Look, uh, yes, yeah, so they didn't write their own songs. They didn't play their own instruments. They're a TV band. They were put together. Okay, all that. Fine. Listen to the music and deny that it truly is great. As Jeff said very early on, you're not the Beatles. They're not the Stones. Those are unmatchable comparisons for any band to live up to. But for that era, putting out some great, great music. Uh, our guest, we thank Bruce Edward Walker, freelance writer, contributor to The Federalist, host of the Acton Institute's weekly upstream pop culture podcast. Find him online on Twitter at Bruce Ed Walker. Bruce, thank you so much for joining Political Beats. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. Jeff, we will talk and do this all again next week. Yes, we will, as we do every week. Reminder to uh, subscribe to our feed for new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or tune in Monday's new episodes, or go to nationalreview.com. Please listen, please share, please leave reviews as well. You can find us on Twitter as well, at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.